Welcome everybody to the third episode of Crease Thoughts Views from the Blue Paint. Today we have a very special guest by the name of Jim Reeves. Jim is an athletic therapist and strength coach, and he owns the Athlete Zone Gym in Mississauga. I've been training with Jim for over a year now, and I have seen great improvements. So without further ado, please welcome my next guest, Jim Reeves. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on the podcast, and thanks for the Instagram shout-out as well. I got a couple new followers from that, so thank you. Nice. Awesome. Is there anything uh, new with you? Um, no, just uh, plugging along. We got uh, we got a group of soccer athletes, uh, forty-four athletes that we're testing on Saturday. So looking forward to uh, doing that. Maybe for a long day, but yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, well worth it. So yeah, get the work done. Great. All right, so let's get started. So, Jim, you're the owner of the Athlete Zone Gym in Mississauga, and you've been training athletes in many different sports for plenty of years now. What got you into this line of work? So I'd have to go all the way back to when I was 16. Um, I actually played the first two years of the Vaughn Kings organization. I was... uh, Back then, it was a midget draft, Uh, so as a minor midget, I played up a year on the midget team and then uh, played my second year of midget uh, as well. Um, January of that, my draft year, I tore my ACL, and I was introduced to the world of uh, sports performance rehab. Um, So I was lucky enough to be introduced to uh, uh, a facility at York University called the Bobby Orr Sports Injuries Clinic. And... uh, in there, um, it was owned and operated by two doctors. Number one was Dr. Charles Bull, who was at the time like one of the premier surgeons in, in Ontario, um, and Dr. Michael Clairfield, who was the beef doctor at the time. Um, doing my rehab, I was, uh, you know, sandwiched in between, uh, uh, you know, this young burgeoning tennis star named uh, Daniel Nestor, who's, you know, had a 20, 25 year pro career in professional tennis. Um, and on the bed beside me was this uh, NBA basketball player, uh, Mitchell Wiggins, and uh, whose uh, son now plays in uh, plays in the NBA. Andrew Wiggins. Um, right? Andrew Wiggins, yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, rehabbing my knee right beside these guys. Uh, the facility was just chock full of, of, you know, provincial and national and professional level um, athletes, and I just saw, you know, what a difference. Um, it was an amazing environment. Everybody was willing to work hard and push their bodies. And uh, it was something that I just, I, I fell in love with the, the whole situation. So as I was rehabbing my knee, I ended up having surgery and then going through that whole process uh, of getting myself back to playing. Um, a lot of the work that I had to do was actually done in the track and field center. And okay. as I was watching a lot of these track athletes doing their thing, uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was watching Ben Johnson and Mark McCoy, uh, the whole kind of Toyota track team coached by uh, probably one of the best, considered to be the best coaches in the world, uh, it was uh, Charlie Francis. And so here I was as this young, impressionable 17 or 18-year-old watching the world's best sprinters and sprint team train on a daily basis. I remember getting bumped That's off cool. the bench by... 
uh, by Ben Johnson. I was in there doing my workouts, and all of a sudden, here's this absolutely massive, muscular, five foot six <laughs> yeah. Yeah. guy uh, asking if I'm done on the bench. Yes, yes, sir. I'll get out of your way. <laughs> um, but that opened my eyes to um, there was really a, a higher level of, of rehab and and how rehab and sports performance could really be meshed together. And uh, you know, realizing that athletes at a high level are always rehabbing something right and it's just a continuum it's it's not you're not hurt and then you are hurt it's there's always a management process going on and so really uh uh you know that sparked a real interest um i ended up applying and, and uh going to york university i ended up playing two years there for the hockey team um oh, nice. as a walk-on and uh and then i got into the uh, sports injuries uh certification program and eventually became certified as an athletic therapist. And so that kind of started my career. Um, I worked in the OHL for four years and then moved, uh, moved from the OHL as an athletic therapist into a private uh, sports performance clinic in Mississauga. Um, at the time, it was called Mind to Muscle. And, uh, you know, basically in our heyday, uh, you know, we've got stars like um, Jason Spezza and, and um, John Tavares, Patrick O'Sullivan, Kyle Quincy, um, a whole host of, uh, of uh, professional athletes in that kind of, you know, 28 to 35 year old right now, uh, some as old as 40 um, and, and retired. That whole, um, we, we were pretty much the biggest training facility in, in the city. We, at one point, had 235 kids uh, training every day in our summer program. So when I was my my role was to operate that, uh, design all the programming, and you know make sure everybody got their their stuff done. Um, and it was yeah we had everybody going through our program. Anthony Stewart, um, Simmons, um, just a whole ton of Akeem uh, Lou worked with Akeem uh, for a number of years. Um, yeah, ton of uh, ton of people that uh, have done well for themselves now, and um, you know. Hopefully, uh, I had a pretty positive uh, influence on uh, the work that they were able to do to, to get them, you know, to yeah. their end goal. Yeah, for sure. So, what do you find most rewarding about training these professional athletes? I wouldn't even say it has to be professional. Um, it's, you know, it's it's seeing like one of the biggest things that I remember is uh, seeing the. I guess the reward that uh, you see in the eyes of an athlete when they come back to you and they say, you know what, Jim, like I, I, I went from this level to this level and I never thought it could happen. And, you know, um, I'm looking forward to, you know, making, uh, continuing to make that jump um, for, you know, for athletes that have put the time and energy in and, and I recognize how hard it is to do some of the work that we, that we ask the athletes to do. Um, but what it also does is it opens doors for them, uh, down the road. And so I, I, you know, I look at my, my role as somebody who can, um, facilitate the opportunities and, and let the athlete discover a, a whole new level for, for themselves. The same way that, that, you know, back when I was 17 and, and going through that whole process of rehabbing my knee, um, I came out on the backside of that rehab a way better athlete, a way better uh, hockey player than I was going into it. 
Yeah. And you know, um, you know, it's it's great that I can uh, you know influence and have an impact on uh, uh, a young athlete's uh, you know realization of goals or or discovery of skills and ability that uh, they didn't have before. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I know a lot of hockey players, and I can tell you personally, everyone is different. And when it comes to the gym, like, what's the most challenging part for you when you train hockey players? Um, probably over the last five to eight years, um, there has been a huge shift in the mentality of parents and, and players in what they value uh, in terms of development. Um, and so there's been a huge shift towards being on the ice or being in your sport uh, more than, uh, you know, 15 years ago, like when you played for the Vaughn Kings, when you played for the Marlies, when you played for the reps, that was a huge commitment. Yeah. You were, you know, you had two to three practices a week. You had two, two games a week. Um, most people would, would do a skills session either as a goaltending, you know, uh, specific uh, session or stick handling or shooting or skating. Um, and then you'd fit a workout or two in. Um, that's, that schedule now is not enough. And instead you've got people that are uh, dropping their kids off at the rink at seven o'clock in the morning, um, getting through a morning session with their sports school and then going to school, you know, for, for 10 or 10.30 in the morning. And, you know, sacrificing rest. So, you know, you most of the time you, you've noticed how you're, you're getting home at 11 and 12 o'clock from a lot of your games. Yeah. Um, by the time you wind down, it's after midnight, you're getting to sleep, and, that, and yet to be at the rink for 7, that means you're getting up at 6 o'clock. Um, and yeah. so I, I've really seen a huge difference in the mindset of of young athletes today where they are not um you know they, they don't understand that at a certain point there's a declining return on the investment of your time and effort into activities and the value of rest and the value of um you know being focused on one aspect and doing that extremely well as opposed to you know watering down your effort and watering down your, your output because of fatigue and because of, uh, 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 you know, a lack of energy when you, when you do your own ice uh, sport. Right. So I, that, that to me has been the biggest thing. The athletes themselves, like I, you know, it's, it's basically, um, it, it's a situation where I'll, I'll mention to coworkers, you know, that person gets it, that person understands the, if they want to be the best athlete they they can be, they're not a lemming following every what everybody else does, and they're actually they've used their head and they're making smart decisions uh, in terms of how they're approaching their development and recognizing that um, it's okay to say no to the extra stuff. Um, so many people have a, a FOMO or fear of missing out uh, mentality that uh, well you know Johnny Smith. Is, is doing these extra sports schools. And, and then, so, you know, what, what am I going to miss out on if I don't register for one of those programs as well? Uh, whereas, you know, if, if I were to recommend to a young athlete, I would say, listen, 
your club team, you know, that Von Kings team, if you put 100% of your effort into that club team, I can guarantee you, you, uh, you will be a much better player than if you give 50% of your effort to there and you give a 25% effort in your, your, this extra morning school program and you leave 25% on the table because you're so tired. Right. Um, that at the end of the year, uh, you know, in one situation, you'll be a significantly better athlete. In the other situation, you just won't progress. Yeah. That's cool. So let's switch gears a little bit. Do you remember the cupping session that we did? It was like a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. How did you do it? Because I'm sure you definitely didn't just wake up and think, okay, I'm just going to light a fire like a couple inches above this person's leg, stick the cup on top. <laughs> and Like, how, how did you learn to do that? Uh, so it's called dry cupping. And, uh, Basically, uh, I learned it from two people. One was uh, one of my professors in, in university um, who uh, you know, taught me how to do it. Uh, the other was Chris Broadhurst, who was a longtime athletic therapist with uh, Toronto Maple Leafs that I got to know. And I worked in his uh, you know, the clinic downtown uh, along with uh, uh, Dr. Clarefield that I mentioned uh, before. Um, it was a Leafs doctor. And so I was exposed to it there. Uh, I was taught you know, how to do it. Uh, indications, contraindications of using it, um, and yeah, so I use it as it's just another to, uh, tool in the tool belt uh, for somebody like myself. Um, but uh, it can be an effective tool that uh, you know uh, a lot of players really like to uh, you know to have that that treatment applied. Yeah, it felt awesome afterwards during the cupping session. Not so much, but after it felt <laughs> great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a very effective tool. Yeah. So when, when I come in the gym, I see athletes of all uh, sorts of sports. There's baseball, swimming, hockey. And as you know, I'm a goalie for the Vaughn Kings. And what are some key areas of focus in off-ice training specifically for goalies? Well, um, it, it's a lot of times uh, training is – not just randomized strength exercises. It's not just, you know, kind of dipping into a pool of exercises and, and just making you stronger. Um, you'll recall that we've gone through many times with you a functional movement screen and using those, using those movements to identify three key uh, components that we're looking for. And that is mobility. See if there's any areas of your body, you're not moving through a full range of motion, uh, stabilization patterns and whether or not you're, adequately stabilizing specific areas of your, of your, you know, your trunk and your hips and your ankles. Um, and then, um, motor pattern impairments, which is a fancy way of saying the wrong muscles are trying to create control movement. And so by identifying those dysfunctions in your body, we can then reverse engineer the process and actually put exercises into a program for yourself, uh, that would be different than the, the athlete beside you because you're both presenting with unique movement uh, abilities and, and movement dysfunction. And so really that's the crux of, of uh, the strength of our programs is the personalization of what it is that you're doing in the weight room and in the, uh, you know, on the turf side uh, in terms of movement skills and power development and, and you know, making you a better athlete. Uh goes to a, a, a larger spectrum of 
exercise choice and application of those corrective exercises in a program for you. It's not just walking in, grabbing a dumbbell and, you know, doing some shoulder raises and curls um, and then saying, you know, you've done your off-ice work. Cool. So like I said before, a lot of hockey players, especially goalies, they have different uh, playing styles, pregame preparation, uh, rituals. But when it comes to off-ice training, is are there any like commonalities between these goalies? Yeah, big time. Um, I, I view my job a lot of times with goaltenders. Uh, I have to undo what goaltending does to you. And what I mean by that is in your position, there are certain movement sequences and postures that you get into that the position requires. A lot of times, goaltenders uh, have their knees up over top of the toes. You're on your, you know, your forefoot, um, and you're really loading the quads in the front. Uh, you're you're in a, a deep stance position, but a lot of goalies don't necessarily have the strength in their back to hold that posture, and so you end up with a rounded back. You end up falling forward with the shoulders. Um, so habitually being in that position for hours at a time in and out of it, as you're, you know, you're seeing shots and practices and games, uh, you adapt to those movements and you all of a sudden, every time you go to move, you're going to be a very quadriceps dominant athlete. You're going to be an athlete that moves from their back and not from their hips. Mm -hmm. And so my role then is to reverse engineer that process, take the emphasis off using the quads and develop better movement capacity from the hips, from the posterior chain. Uh, for you to push laterally and, you know, facing a shot coming in from the right point, but then all of a sudden somebody's on the back door and you got to have a massive push across in order to shut down that, that shooting lane uh, for the guy that's back door, you need to be able to explode laterally. And yet if you are only moving from your quads, the quads do a very terrible job of moving you sideways. They move you up and down. Right. Right? So if you're a volleyball player, yeah, you want to be quad dominant because you want to jump up as high as you can. But if you're a goaltender, you want to be able to push sideways. And because uh, you don't necessarily – you have the demands of that push in the, in the, uh, the performance of your, your work on the ice, but you don't necessarily reinforce that push – through the postures that you were in while you're on the ice. And so we have to develop that capacity that the whole posterior chain, we have to create stiffness from the back of the head to the top of the hips so that you can hold your upper body nice and open and have your gloves presenting high instead of collapsing forward and dropping your gloves because you can't hold the back in, a, in an extended posture nice and straight up and down, right? Yeah. Uh, you'll see a lot of goaltenders that, that – they, they use their hands to create momentum as they do their lateral push, as opposed to the way you want to have it is your hands are nice and separate from what the, the legs are doing. And you can, you can push laterally aggressively. You can, you know, you can, um, square up to where you want to take the shot from and not have to use your hands as part of that movement sequence to get you in that, that, uh, that shooting lane. Mm. You want the hands always able to make a save. Yeah. So to add on to that, is there any exercise that you really like to give goalies? Because I know in my program, there's some exercises I get like almost every day, like some of the stretches. Yeah. Um, yep. So, I mean, some of it is, is uh, you know, doing exercises that teach you to separate the, the upper body from the lower body. 
and teach you how to move from the hips and keep your upper body nice and quiet um, and, and separating out those the, that, that lower body. Um, you know, one of the biggest ones that I know uh, I see the smile on your face every time you see it in your program is where we do the partner resisted uh, deep stance work where we've got the tubing on around your hips and yeah. um, I'm holding you back as best I can and you got to push out sideways against that. You know, I mean, that that's, exercise is an amazing lateral push development that really speaks to that idea of going cross crease and, and you know, covering 10 to 12 feet in one, sim, uh, one single push right. to shut down that, that backdoor attempt. Cool. I know how much you love that one. Yeah. Um, so in the gym, I see there's the 50 club and the 100 club. Um, do you want to explain to the listeners what that's all about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, some gyms, they like to reward, uh, you know, how heavy a, a lift somebody can, uh, you know, here's our, our 300 pound club. Here's our, um, you know, uh, highest squat total, highest deadlift total, um, hand clean, you know, total. Uh, we want to reward because in our philosophy here at Athlete Zone is we want to reward people that understand the process happens over a long period of time. And so the 50 and the 100 club are our reward for the number of times that a person comes into our program and, you know, achieving 50 visits in our, our program. And we've got a sweatshirt for you to really recognize the fact that we, uh, you've put the time in to make yourself a better athlete. And it's almost like a badge of honor getting that, uh, that sweatshirt to be able to wear it around. Uh, and the hundred club, you know, we've, we've got a, uh, um, t t-shirt, a uh, uh, baseball uh, shirt with a, a kind of a cool athlete's own logo on it built out of uh, all the words of, um, you know, sport development words that you're, you're going to hear when you're in our facility. Um, we personalize that, put their favorite number and their name on the back. And, you know, again, that's their badge of honor for, uh, you know, being in our facility more than a hundred visits uh, within a year. And last year, you know, we had several athletes that were, uh, we probably could have had 150 club. Hmm. Um, but those are, you know, those are some athletes that are really putting the time in that they, they need to. Um, and as a result are uh, rewarded for it. Yeah. So I just wanted to touch on one other uh, training tool that uh, some goalies, and it's used for other sports as well. I've seen a, a baseball guy in there, uh, the NeuroTracker. What is it, and what do you like about it? Uh, you know what? It's, the NeuroTracker is an unbelievably effective tool for slowing the game down inside your head. Um, I had a young athlete, uh, he was a baseball player, uh, Dalton Pape with the Blue Jays. And uh, he was playing at a lower level, single A ball. And the year before that we got the neuron tracker, um, was having a ton of trouble striking out. Um, and the way he described it to me is that he felt like everything was in a rush. Everything would speed up as he stepped into the batter's box. And before he knew it, he was down 0-2. Um, and then pitchers were basically in control of his of his at bat, and if he didn't make contact with the ball, he was going to strike out. And so, the speed of the ball in the neural tracker, uh, for those that are listening that have never seen it, 
you're basically presented with a large screen television that's got a three-dimensional image on it. Uh, it's a box that has eight yellow balls on the screen. For a second, two, four of the balls flash orange, and those are the balls that you're going to try and follow. But then they turn back to the same color as the other four who are decoys. The, all eight balls for eight seconds randomly bounce around on the screen, hitting into each other, moving front to back, moving side to side, non-diagonals. You're watching this, trying to follow what, who, what the original marked balls were. At the end of the eight seconds, you then have to click on what you think were the, the original marked balls. If you get all four right, the speed of the balls increases. But if you get one or more wrong, it slows down. And eventually what happens is over the course of the 20 repetitions that you do in each set, you, you get to a speed where if it goes any higher, you make a mistake. But if it goes any lower, you can accurately follow the, the, the balls. As you adapt to this over time, you're able to process more information coming into your, your visual system and follow the balls at a higher speed. Now, most people, when they start out, um, you know, anywhere between 0.8, kind of 1.2 is the average speed of balls on the screen. Um, and most people training for six, you know, uh, six or eight weeks can get up over to 2.0 in terms of the speed that they're going at. Uh, Dalton, over the course of that offseason, got up to 4.7, which is basically a yellow blur. Yeah. It was amazing to see, like, I, you know, at my best, I think it was at 2.8 um, in yeah. terms of, and, and even at 2.8, it's pretty pretty challenging. Those balls are moving pretty quick. Because when, uh, when I go to like 2. Point, yeah, like 2.6, 2.8, I'm like I can't even process what's going on. Like it's yeah, so it was fast. it was incredible to watch Dalton do that. Um, the the following season, he went up four levels. He started in low A ball. He went up to high A ball. He was called up to double A ball, and then he was called up uh, actually to the major leagues uh, for the September run. The Blue Jays had that year. So he went from from playing A ball to playing in the major leagues because his strikeout to uh, home run ratio absolutely disappeared. And he, was, he said, you know, he said he described it as he was more in touch and in tune with the game. He was planning his game out as he was in the batter's box. He was never losing interest or, or being distracted when he was in the outfield. Um, he was more invested and, and focused in the game. And when he was in the batter's box, the game had slowed down for him. And so he was able to go pitch by pitch and really think the game through uh, and be able to process what pitch was coming at him and make a decision faster in terms of what he was going to swing on versus what he was going to hold back on. So it's a, it's a great tool, yeah, a great tool, uh, regardless of, you know, the sport that you're in. Um, everybody knows that when you're having one of those games where everything is just working for you and you're in the zone, it's almost like the game has slowed down. Right. Yeah. And conversely, on those days where you're struggling, you seem you feel like you're, you know, you're two seconds behind the puck all the time, it feels like the game is going too fast. Yeah. Yeah, now that you say that, I totally agree with you on that one. Yeah, so um, it's great tool. Yeah, so we've talked about nutrition before, and uh, I really like to eat. So this part of the the episode is gonna make me hungry. Um, and for teenagers, sometimes you know it's hard to know what to eat. Like sometimes I'll admit I'll be like, oh, you know what? I really want a bowl of chips. Um, 
but you know I have a game that night so I, I can't eat the chips I gotta eat like an apple or something like that um, so I want to ask you what are some easy to make meals or snacks that uh, a lot of athletes like because me personally I'm a super picky eater so yeah are there any meals or snacks that um, so, so one of the things that you want to do is you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're incorporating protein, uh, carbohydrates, and healthy fats into your meal. Um, a lot of times we tend to only have something that is carbohydrate based, you know, so your breads, pastas, um, you know, a lot of your processed foods are carbohydrate based. And as you know, as an athlete, you want to make sure that you're getting a, a full spectrum of these whole foods, so that you can, you know, receive, you know, your protein. Which is, you know, don't think of protein as an energy source. Think of it as a building block. So you're going to build and repair tissue with the amount of protein you take in. So that's why it's important to have, you know, protein with every every uh, time you, you you have a feeding opportunity. Um, the carbohydrates definitely are. Uh, you know, our source of calories for your energy output. Um, and the healthy fats, uh, yes, are an energy source, but they also contribute to, you know, the strength of your immune system and a lot of the uh, digestion and absorption of uh, vitamins and minerals are, are um, aided by the, 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 you know, the presence of healthy fats in your diet. Um, one of the go-tos that, uh, I've always recommended for athletes is stir fries, and you know, you know whether you you, know, you steak or, or chicken as the backbone for it. You could uh, you know, um, omelets are again another option um, where you're you're able to incorporate you know vegetables and um, you know the meats into uh, a dish that's fairly easy to transport um, and uh, you know reheat or or even eat cold. Um, yeah. and every athlete is, uh, of course, used to those meals in the car and those meals that, uh, you know, you keep in the cooler and then take them out after your game or practice, uh, because, you know, you're, you're crunched for time and you can't really, uh, go home and prep, you know, meal prep at the plan ahead of time. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, so several goalies have come to your gym and they've played at very high levels and obviously you've been a big part of their success and what are some key attributes that these goalies have when they're working out in the gym? I would say the number one thing is consistency. Um, looking at, um, looking at your off ice work as a key element of your on ice output. And, uh, so one of the guys that I, that I worked with, uh, he was actually a two time world junior, uh, goalie with Canada, uh, Jake Patterson, and uh, one of the big things that he found is, um, so I worked with him from the time he was 12 right through to 21, 22 years of age, um, and then just, you know, through uh, the process of him staying in the city where he was he was uh, playing, um, he stopped coming into to our program, and he said one of the biggest things that he found was that um, he kind of got into a rhythm where off ice wasn't really a big part of his off season. And uh, uh, he said it, it was uh, over the course of the next year or two that he felt like his game fell apart uh, from the standpoint of 
his hips were always sore. He was always getting injured, um, you know, pulling a groin or, um, you know, having low back pain. Uh, and, and all these little kind of lower end maintenance issues became a huge part of what he was dealing with on a day to day basis when he was in season. And so we hooked up again uh, three years ago. Uh, he, you know, in the off season, he came back to this area and uh, he said he was just sick and tired of dealing with all these small little things. Um, and, and uh, you know, as soon as we got back into it, and we got that first off season over with and, you know, he was coming in five days a week, um, got back on the ice and, and he said there was no more issues. And so all of a sudden he could push himself and he could play um, to the level that he wanted to play at and not have to deal with all these little things that he felt was holding back in the, in the years previous. So the consistency and the, um, you know, doing the right things that complement your development, your positional play, um, are, are really critical to your ability to play. And if you get away from those, you know, those fundamental elements that have to be in your offseason, um, even somebody that has had a good background in training um, can can really unfortunately you know spiral downhill a little bit in those seasons where they don't put that uh, the right work in yeah so um like you said uh earlier in the episode you said that a lot of players they'll just want to go on the ice and they'll skip gym sessions just to be on the ice what is some advice that you have that'll uh, keep people motivated to be in the gym well, I'll give you a story that one of the players I used to work with uh, told me, and it was a real eye-opener for, for this um, this guy. His name's Kyle Quincy, and he, I think, had a 12- or 15-year career in the NHL. Um, and he was drafted by the Detroit Red Wings back when, you know, they were winning their, their Stanley Cups, and um, he was a, a pretty talented young defenseman and finally got his opportunity to uh, play some games with them. And he said, uh, it was kind of funny, he's, he's walking off the ice, and of course the, the lineup that they had on the back end was was extremely dominant. And uh, so he comes walking off the ice, he's had his six or seven minutes worth of playing time, um, and he gets into the dressing room, and he sits himself down in, in, his, in his stall, and there's a whole whirlwind of activity as guys are getting undressed quickly, and he's just kind of taking in what the room is, is doing. And he's sitting there, the, the coach comes in, does his post-game talk, and then wheels out. And he said in the time that he just kind of sat there for 10 minutes, had taken his upper, gear, upper body gear off and just kind of sat there in his skates and absorbed the room, three of the guys in the room had were out of their equipment, in their shorts, by the time the coach was ready to talk, and were in, in the weight room doing their work post-game, hmm. and were in the shower before he was. Hmm. And those three players were the three best players, Sutterberg, Datsuk, and Lidstrom. Oh, wow. And he said it made him realize that the best in the game invest in themselves on a daily basis. So a workout isn't a workout. A workout is an investment. Right. And he began to realize that if he wanted to play at the top level the way those players played at, he had to start to value his body's ability to be at its best all the time. And so he very quickly in his career, he recognized that he didn't just have to do his off-season work and then show up in training camp 
and just play his season. Right. It became part of his routine was to do something every day, like you said, as part of his warm-up process, part of his, his, his after-practice or after-game uh, workout, taking advantage of uh, time and the opportunity that he had to invest in himself so that tomorrow he could perform at his best. And really that's what, you know, as you climb up the ladder of sports performance, and it doesn't matter the sport itself, the window for success shrinks. You only get so many chances. And you're competing against people that are as talented or more talented than you are. So how are you going to differentiate yourself from the rest of the people in the crowd so that you get the opportunity you want? Right. If you can't perform at or above your, you know, your best today, uh, because you haven't done the prep work, you've you've basically taken an opportunity away from yourself. Hmm. So the, the the biggest success that people have is when they look at training and when they look at the you know the, the development of their body as an investment in you know their um, their ability to play their sport uh, and and. You know, consistency is a huge factor in um, in doing, making sure you're doing the right things, and make sure you're doing them enough that they're actually benefiting. Yeah, I really like what you had said. Where uh, a workout, it's not just a workout; like it's an investment in your body, and I really like that. Yeah. So that about wraps it up. Uh, but before we go, uh, where can listeners find out about your program? Like, do you have a website, social media? Uh, yeah, so um, you go to athletezone.ca. Um, you can email me at jimreeves at athletezone.ca. Um, Twitter, it's at jimathletezone. Um, and on Instagram, I think it's just at athletezone, um, at athletezone itself. So you can search those up. And, uh, we're trying to post, you know, um, exercises that our athletes are performing on uh, our social media feeds and um, you can see some of the different athletes that we've got going through our facility and um, some of what we would consider to be more unique exercises that they're they're performing when they're when they're in-house yeah awesome well thank you once again for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it and i'll see you soon sounds good thank you very much for the opportunity no problem like i said that was a very insightful episode and i hope you learned a lot be sure to check him out. He's a really great guy and an awesome trainer. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to check me out on social media at butsy underscore 29, B-U-T-S-Y underscore 29 on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Here you can stay up to date on new episode releases. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic day.